Welcome to the Free Your Energy Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? No complaints, my friend. No complaints. Good. (laughs) So lately here on the podcast, we have been just diving into different stories, finding out who people are, what made them. Let's start off with your childhood. Who were you when you were seven years old? Where were you at? What were you doing? What was going on in your life? Who were you? So at seven years old, I, it's, it's actually, it's kind of funny. I'm, I was this little girl who is in the room that I'm currently in right now, because <laughs> this is where I'm spending my, uh, my quarantine. And I was in Fontana, California with my parents. And my brother, who is older, he's six years older than me. And uh, this is actually right before we had went to Illinois. So my dad grew up um, in Gary, Indiana, but he mostly, you know, went to school and such in Chicago. And so he had a job opportunity, which moved the entire family to Illinois. And so seven, eight, that age group for me, I got to say, that was probably when everything seemed very just, you know, normal. Things were fun. I had friends. It was fine. But then we literally got uprooted and had to go to Deerfield, Illinois for two years, just with a completely different new group of friends, new group of people, different environment. It was fine. But when I came back at the age of 10, it was way, way different. That's when a lot of bullying started and life just started to shake up for me. Wow. What was the job opportunity that he had? So my dad did a lot with human resources. In fact, he well now, thankfully, he's retired. He worked all the way up until the age of 72. Um, but he worked for Lockheed and then he eventually moved on to Parsons. And we were so bummed because at that time they were like, hey, we want to take you to either Dallas or Chicago area. And, you know, of course he went with Chicago, but we didn't want to go at all. We were like, can we stay here? But they were like, nope, it's time to go. So yeah, we, we, we left, but it definitely, that move definitely kind of messed things up for me just on a social level. And and I've even shared that with them as well. So when you left from California to Illinois, did they explain to you that there was going to be a winter time? Actually, you know what? I do remember my dad saying that there's going to be a very, very big difference in the weather (laughs) compared to California. But at that age, you know, I'm not really taking it that seriously. I'm like, yeah, okay, great. The snow. (laughs) Then we get there. Um, Yeah, it was ridiculous. You know, all that slush, the icicles. It was, (laughs) it definitely was not Cali. (laughs) Yeah, because that's culture shock. Uh, Young person going from California to Illinois. So I grew up in Chicago. Actually, I went to Palatine High School, which is like 20 minutes from Deerfield. It's like 20 minutes from there. So we were in the same area, like around the same age, because we are the same age. So that is crazy. So then you guys went back to Cali. How did you get back to California? Yeah. So we went back to California actually a a little early because we were supposed to stay um, in Deerfield for four years, but um, my brother was just getting going into high school. And so my parents didn't want to break up his high school experience, you know, taking him out, you know, after being a sophomore and then having to go back to California. So we came back essentially two years earlier for the sake of him not having to break that up. 
But in doing so, it was at the very end of my elementary school experience. So when I came back, I was a fifth grader. And when we returned, I had to go to another elementary school. So I, I couldn't go to the same one that we that, that I was in before we went to Deerfield because the area that we lived in had expanded and they had built a new school. So I had, you know, the one elementary school when I was seven, then I go to Deerfield, I'm going to Kipling. After Kipling, we came back to California and I went to a different school with a whole new set of friends and a whole new group of people. And and honestly, it was it was really difficult because I was I was dealing a lot with um unfortunately especially from the black community. You know, it was oh, you know, she's, you know, the white black girl, you know, she doesn't talk like us, her name's Megan, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of what affected that was when we were in Deerfield, you know, Deerfield's predominantly white, and there weren't really a lot of black folks, like I was one of three black kids at my elementary school. So, you know, of course, that's going to have an effect on my, you know, my dialect, my, my everything. So when I came back here to Cali, it was like, who is this? And they just were not very friendly. So it, it definitely messed me up for show. Um, mom and dad, uh, black, white, what, what are their race? The races? Yeah, no. Yes, my folks, they're black. Down the line, I'm sure there's some Caucasian, some Indian. Uh, mostly on my dad's side, there's more of a mixture. But, um, but yes, my folks are black and they're still married about, uh, I think, 46 years now. You know, they'll tell you a different number. But, yeah, they've been right. together for a minute. <laughs> so people were, people were making fun of your name because it oh, was yeah. your name. People were making, making fun of your name. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yes. Um, see, I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to convey what they were comparing it to, because I don't want to I don't want to be I don't want to sound offensive. But basically to them, the name wasn't, quote, black enough. I black didn't enough. speak black enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it's just that unfortunate culture sometimes that we have, even within our own community of, of you know, pinning ourselves up against each other. And um, and I, I was not I, I didn't subscribe to any of that. I didn't know what was going on because it just wasn't that diverse where I was. So when I came here, it was just kind of like, you know, what what's up? Like, what, what's wrong with me? Like, I'm just I'm just existing. So. Um, but it's crazy. I think some of that stuff that happened back then, Sylvester, it, it still exists in me today. Like I, I find myself being a little socially insecure sometimes, to be honest with you, because you just don't know. It's like, okay, is, is what I said, is that all right? Like, do you accept me? Am I cool? Like I find myself being a little insecure sometimes, even at this age. So, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I totally relate to you on, on two levels. One, I had a very similar experience. So, I mean, my name is Sylvester McNutt, you know, so like <laughs> the McNutt part, people were making fun of that all the time. But then, you know, there's like, there's no black dudes named Sylvester. They're like, you know, people would always ask me, they're like, hey, where did this name come from? So I remember actually mm-hmm. researching it because I was very curious. Yeah. So McNutt is actually an Irish name. So my okay. like logical conclusion was that this was like a slave owner yeah. name that was given, that was kind of passed down. That was, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I interpreted it. But For then sure. I, I also will hear the whole, you know, like you're not black enough to hang out with us because you you speak proper or because you mm-hmm. like pronounce your words. Yeah, and it's like I'm like, dude, I just got done like listening to Tupac. I still got to deal with the same <laughs> racism everybody else does. Yeah. Like, 
Kobe mm-hmm. Bryant's my favorite basketball player. Like, what do you what do you mean? I'm not I'm not in my culture. Like, what are you talking about? You know, right. I have waves. I'm brushing my hair a hundred times each side to get my waves. <laughs> like, what do you mean? I'm not in the culture. I'm yeah. not black. Like, what do you? What does that even mean? And I it's know. like <laughs> it's such a it's such an interesting thing for I feel like a young person because mm-hmm. how do you explain that to someone who's older than you who's not experiencing that? Right. You know, like our parents, they they were in the segregation times, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they were only around black people, so they exactly. didn't have to deal with that at all. But us, we kind of are in the intersection where mm-hmm. you know the culture started to come together. So, how do you think if someone's listening, maybe they have a kid who's dealing with that, or maybe they're dealing with that? Mm-hmm. How do we, from your opinion, how do we kind of deal with that intersection, that that racial intersection? Well. I I think, I mean, if anyone's got a child that's going through it, I think just, of course, you know, explaining to them first and foremost that there's nothing wrong with them. I I think that's very, very key to to make sure that they know that. And and I got to give props to my parents on that, because, you know, if you think about it, which is what's crazy with this whole quarantine thing, like typically your child is gone eight hours in the day. So eight hours of the day are spent at school in that environment with those people. And then they, you know, they'll come home, eat dinner, go to bed. But a lot of influence is coming from school. And so if they're not getting that reinforcement of how great they are just as they are, it's going to always be built into them that there's something wrong. So I would just encourage any parent that's got a child that's going through it to just say, hey, look, you are fine. You are great just as you are. It's just a matter of changing the hearts of others and helping to explain and educate them that you're just fine. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it starts there because here's the thing. If, if you're, if you're not, um, and this even, this even speaks to me now, like if you're not accepting of yourself, you know, then, then that's not going to be good just in general, because you can't change how people are going to perceive you and what they're going to think of you. And so I do feel that it just starts with getting reinforcement at home and, and just hopefully standing in your own truth and your own with who you are is going to be enough for you to be able to get through your school process. And you mentioned that you even deal with that a little bit now um, as an adult kind of makes you kind of socially reflect on, you know, your environment. Talk me, talk me to that, like your, your present day, kind of how you're dealing with it or, you know, talk me to, talk me yeah. about, about that. Yeah. So, you know, being an actress, uh, the, the, the funny, but it's, it's kind of a cool thing is, you know, we, we, we hop onto these shows, but it's not like, like, like I said, my dad was in human resources for 40 something years um, with acting. Yeah, sure. I can say I've been acting for blah, blah, blah years, but I've been on different shows, which means the people change. My coworkers change. My boss is going to change. My employer changes. So in all those changes, I'm constantly moving in different environments and having to get to know different people all the time. Um, I love, you know, talking to people, getting to meet people, but it does kind of, you know, put you in an awkward position, especially if you were someone who was bullied and not accepted as they were as a child. Um, and even it, it kind of also went into high school as well. Like, honestly, it lasted a while. Um, I'm now recognizing through going through therapy, actually, uh, that now when I'm when I'm in certain settings, talking to people in certain groups, you know, groups as in other actors, sometimes I am a little socially awkward, like I don't always know what to say, 
or they'll all be over there laughing and giggling. And then I feel kind of, I feel like there's something wrong with me. Cause I'm just like, man, like, why am I not laughing with them? Like, why aren't they including me on that conversation? And, you know, what am I not doing? And, and what I had learned was it, it's not so much what they're not doing. It's just, it's, it's, it's about what I'm mentally receiving from it, which was, um, which was incorrect. Like my own insecurities is what was taking me out of just having a normal, regular experience. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, so I, I'm having to do a lot of uh, evaluating of how I'm perceiving the situation and, and, and really looking at it and seeing like, oh, is there, is there something wrong with me? Like, do, do they really not like me? Am I not fitting in with this group? Or am I just, you know, taking myself out of it before a conversation even starts? As an as an actress, you have insight to a world that most of the listeners here we don't we don't know anything about, mm -hmm. and I appreciate you uh, for sharing that. Is yeah. there, um, of course, never you know never you, you don't have to answer anything, but mm -hmm. is there a sense of like competing egos amongst actors? Like, do you feel like that? Like, for example, if we're just working at, let's say, Wells Fargo. You know, you got the manager, the, the branch manager, assistant manager. Mm -hmm. You have some tellers, some bankers. There's most likely not a sense of egos there because it's usually a kind of like a teamwork-based thing. Mm -hmm. But then with acting, it's almost like, and this is outside looking in, it's almost like how well I do, how well my performance is, is going to basically guarantee me work in the future because mm -hmm. your work is more of a, it's kind of a commission-based work. Like you have to earn you have to earn your next role through your current role. Um, yeah. So do you ever get that sense of like competing egos or um, do you get like a sense that people are mostly genuine? Like walk me through like what it feels like to be an actress and just interacting with other actor actors and actresses. Yeah. So I've definitely been on some sets, um, <laughs> especially in the past where there is definitely some egos throwing and blowing like it's uh it, it's a little crazy because and and honestly it's it's one of the things that I personally cannot stand about um about some actors because you know I I see it like this we're all human beings we're all people we're we're actors we're all just trying to do what we love get in get out you're done but with some people you know they really really subscribe to um, what's the word? They really, they try to subscribe to the the fame of it where it's just like, well, Hey, you know, I'm such and such on the show. So therefore you're going to bow down because this is what I'm going to do. And, and then they, and then in other words, they basically feel like they can act a certain way and not get in trouble for it. Or they're going to go and, you know, go off and say and do all these other sorts of things. And, and just, no one's going to ever, you know, turn them in for it. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, so in a, there's the ego in the sense of like, there's pride, you know, people kind of put themselves on a pedestal where it's just like, Hey, this is me and you can't touch me. And it's like, actually just do your job. <laughs> just do your job. Let's do what we got to do and be done. But there, there is that sad little flaw in this business where, because, you know, we're in the public eye, we're on these TV shows. So you're getting followers, you're getting all this attention, all these comments and such, like for some people, it blows their head up. And, and, you know, trying to just do your best for that next opportunity just turns into like, oh, well, I'm going to just do whatever the heck I want and no one's going to ever say anything. And it's like, actually, that behavior is not OK. Um, but I have definitely experienced that a lot. I see it all the time. So with with being an actress, 
where did that start for you in your childhood? Uh, where did it start? Where did the, your interest for that specific skill start? And were you interested in other arts before that? Yeah. So I get the age mixed up, but I know it's somewhere around six or seven that this passion to do acting and to be in film production specifically started. Because I remember with our VHS camcorder, I was in my childhood bedroom, literally filming, producing and editing my own home videos. So I would put up the camera, hit record, do my little skit, you know, go over there, turn it off, but I would rewind it. So I'm basically editing as I go, change clothes, flip the camera, and then I would go and be someone else. So I, I was doing stuff like that at the age of six and seven. And then I would, you know, quote, produce my own little movies and show it to the family. So I, I, I was just watching movies and TV as a young child. And I would look at it on television. I'm like, wow, I really want to do that. Like, this looks like fun. And so I just started getting into it. Um, but I would say that the, the true passion really started first with film production. There, there is something about editing and putting together, you know, just little clips, little skits, little films. There's something about that is that is just so exciting to me. <laughs> and then getting in front of the camera, I would say that came second. But aside from that, I feel like in another life, I might have been a dancer. So that that has always sparked an interest with me, but I never went off and pursued that at all. So <laughs> now I just do TikToks. <laughs> <laughs> now I just do TikToks. Yeah, that's so it. <laughs> As far as like the actual training for the skill, where did that part start in your journey? Oh, okay. So actual training, I'm going to say that had to have been, okay, so we got, yeah. So that was when we came back from Deerfield and I started taking acting classes at the age of 10, I believe. Because I remember my folks being so supportive, which I got to say, Sylvester, that was, even even right now to this minute, that is by far the only reason why I've been so um, I, why why the only reason why I have found any success is because of their support, and it was there from a very very young age. And I remember my folks coming up to me when I was like nine, and I'm in here crying because I'm not being accepted at school. They're like, you know, you really love acting. That's your thing, right? Okay, let's start pursuing it. And I went to my very first Hollywood showcase. And I got accepted by three different agents. And one of them was the William Morris agency. And I remember turning them down because I was like, oh, this agency's too big. They're big time. And, you know, lo and behold, they're one of the biggest agencies in Hollywood. Um, but it was, it was something that I started pursuing very, very young, but professionally and starting getting training for it. That was around 10. Okay. A couple things there. Are you... When you get your acting classes, are you still going to regular school, elementary school, junior high school? Yes, yes. So all of the 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 training, the acting classes and all that sort of thing, that would be on the side. So every single weekend, my parents would drive me out to a school called the Beverly Hills Studios. And every Saturday for about a year, um, I would go and take acting classes with uh, Bob Bancroft, who at the time was um, was a really, really big time acting coach. Wow. Okay. And then you said uh, Hollywood Showcase. Break it break it down for us. What is a Hollywood Showcase? So my mom had heard on the news, not on the news, on the radio at the time that there would be some showcase 
where a bunch of producers and agents would come together and, you know, basically sit in like a, like a conference style room. I, I remember this room being like an auditorium and they basically just come and they look for new talent that basically is not able to get into the room. And by getting into the room, I mean, for people that are, that are unrepresented. So, you know, for someone who wants to be an actor, but you know, you can't get that audition, like, well, how do you get into the room? So they have showcases where agents, producers, directors, they come, they sit in an auditorium and you get up there and you do a skit. Sometimes it's a skit that you can bring from home or they'll provide it for you. They'll say, here's the material, here's a day to work on it. We'll see you at the showcase. And um, I remember having to just put together my own thing when I did it at the age of 10. And I, I remember being number 117 and only I was a part of only a small group of kids that got chosen. It was, it was really, really cool. <laughs> I was excited. Yeah. So, okay. How do you, how do you even do high school then? Because so just a mm -hmm. little background, I'm, I just feel like schools, you know, I feel like there's a lot of good teachers and there's a lot of effort and there's a lot of caring people, mm -hmm. but I just feel like the school, the American school system, I don't feel like it's set up for children to truly explore the different um, trades and arts and skills, mm -hmm. because to mm -hmm. me, that's what school is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about, hey, let me give you a journey of giving yeah. you different things that will help you find your happiness, your path, mm -hmm. and will also help you be a productive member of a society. I feel like it's kind of like a twofold thing. Yeah. And I feel like school sometimes is a little nearsighted in that, you know, they just give us like social studies and it's just like, mm -hmm. here, go study this, like almost kind of like useless things. And, and obviously I'm not yeah. trying to do anyone's job here, disrespect anyone's journey. <laughs> no. I'm just being honest. I feel like school needs to be revamped. So mm -hmm. for me, when I went to, when I went to high school, I already knew I wanted to be an author, right? And mm -hmm. also I wanted to play football. That was those are the only two things I wanted yeah. to do. There was nothing else. So I see you kind of being in the same light where it's like you already know you want to mm -hmm. be an actress. So how do you even deal with high school? How do you how did you get by in high school knowing that you wanted to be an actress? Or did your high school support the actress mm -hmm. path? Well, it's, it's funny because now my high school has a full-blown drama department and everything. And, and I'm so bummed because they did not have that when I was in high school. Sure. No, it's like you guys came a couple of years too late. But so I will say I did take a break. Um, I, I, I might be getting the years mixed up, but I think I was around like 11 or 12 when I got signed to my very first agency. And they went out of business two weeks later. I was so bummed. I was mad. Um, and my parents and I, we had basically decided that I was not going to pursue it for a couple of years because it, it's just a lot of stress on a kid. It's, it's, it's like, how do you how do you do both? You know, Beverly Hills Studios every Saturday. Now you got an agent. Now you don't. And so it's very stressful. Right. So we chose during that time for me to focus more on school and when I was in middle school, there was a drama department. And so thankfully, because of that, I was able to still stay in that field and, and do that kind of work. But when I got to high school, there was nothing there. So I essentially just didn't do it at all. There was I, I didn't go and take acting classes. I didn't drive anymore to you know, go to Beverly Hills. I basically just became a cheerleader. I did a little bit of track and field in middle school, and that was it. So... I mean, I agree with you that it should be, 
you know, a little bit more, um, see, I, I guess this is where it's a little difficult to really comment on this, the only because in California, for the most part, there is a little bit more diversity with the electives that you can take. But as far as like the main focus, like, no, you're right. It's always like geometry. I hated that class. I couldn't even tell you what something plus something is. I have to always use a calculator, even at like my age now, like there's, there's all these things that just don't really matter, but it's not really the focus of what somebody wants to do. So I, I don't know. There is a little bit more flexibility in California to do that, but I, I agree with you. It should definitely be more about, what the child wants to do and where they're where they can thrive as opposed to being so structured. And then, okay, so did you end up going to college? I did. I went to Chafee Community College for far too many years. <laughs> I was only supposed to be there for, you know, the two years, but then, you know, a huge monkey wrench got thrown in there and I became Miss California USA. And that just literally spread out the entire year for me because I got back into acting. And then, yeah, a couple of years later, I ended up graduating, but yes, <laughs> I did go to college. <laughs> okay. Hold on. We got, we got to, we got to go back there. Cause you just, you just threw a nugget at us. We need to explore. <laughs> that. Okay. So you said a little, a little monkey wrench came, but yeah. you, you said you were Miss California. Yes. So I was Miss California teen at the age of 19 and that's actually what got me back into acting. There's a whole thing with that, but that got me back into the acting. And then two years after that, while I was in college, I ended up winning Miss California USA. And it's it's the big one that goes, you know, you go off to Miss USA. And then if you win Miss USA, you go off to Miss Universe. So yeah, it was, it was a big deal. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> so that's like a beauty pageant, right? Yes. Yes. It's it's a beauty pageant. And, and I always tell people it's not like Miss America, you know, Miss America, you have to have a talent USA, not to diss us, but you, you don't have to have no talent. You just got to be able to walk across the stage in a bikini and, and some heels. That's it. So yeah, it's pretty simple. So what did it feel like to win, to win those two uh, competitions? Oh, it, it felt amazing. Um, I, especially for, I mean, really for both, but for the team title, I was getting some hate because there was a lot of girls that had been doing it since they were at the age of like two and five. And here I came at the age of 19 and I beat 87 girls for the title. So they were like, who is this girl? And then for Miss California USA, I won on my second attempt and I was the fourth African-American to ever win in its 56 year uh, history, but also the first one to win succeeding another African-American woman. So I, I just remember a lot of people, Sylvester, they were telling me, they were like, you shouldn't compete. The girl that won before you, she's black. They're never going to crown two black girls back to back. And I remember even my family would tell me stuff like that. And I was like, you know what, guys? I'm going to go in there. I'm going to step out on some faith. My, my motto is believe it, conceive it, receive it. And I was like, you guys, let me, let's just go see. Like, I don't want to go in there with this defeated type of a mentality. Like, let me just see what I can do. Sylvester, I went up in there and I tore the whole thing up. <laughs> like I just, I mean, and I'm not saying that to be like, Oh, look at what I did. But I'm just saying that, you know, I'm so glad that I didn't allow people's opinions about, oh, that's never going to happen. Da, da, da. I, I said, nope, I'm going to go in there. And I ended up winning the thing and making history. So it, it was um, it was cool. It was different. I, I wasn't a pageant girl, but I suddenly had just become one. So it was cool. 
And that is exactly what we are talking about with the free your energy concept, free your energy Mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. If you would have went in there with a limiting belief, with a self-defeating belief, oh, they already crowned a black girl. So I I, I don't know. I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. Like if you would have went in there with that, your energy would not have been right. Your confidence would not have been right. You would have not looked like a winner. Part Mm -hmm. of where we want to go in life is looking the part. It's it's convincing yourself that you're deserving. It's convincing yourself that, hey, I'm good enough for this opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. um, I remember doing that myself before I became an author. And it's like you deal with all of this. Um, and I'm sure you've probably dealt with this as an as an as an uh, as an actress as well. But you have mm-hmm. this uh, uh, imposter syndrome. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I can't. Oh, man, my, they're not going to read my book. Like, why would they read yeah. my book? Like, yeah. You know, we're like, why would they watch my show? But then mm-hmm. it's like, that, it doesn't help you. Like, no. that doesn't help you. And it's not about being, it's not about being cocky. It's not about, you know, overshooting your, your skill or your reach. Mm-hmm. It's just about being confident and saying, you know what? I'm about to go in here. I'm going to give this my best. And yep. whatever happens, happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, in acting, it's like, you know, we have our, our job literally 90% of the time is to audition. And so you're constantly having to go and sell yourself, literally. So if you go in there like, man, I'm not going to book this role. Like, man, they're not really looking at me. Da, 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 da. You probably won't get it because that energy reads as much, you know, it, it reads that in the room. So, so no, yeah, it's, it's, it is definitely a thing. And, and it's not to say that I don't ever have those doubts where, you know, where I'm like, man, like, I, I can't do this. I don't know. Like, I mean, of course, those things come up. But for me, it's just been very important to not let that overtake me. You know, it's like, I think it's natural to sometimes doubt yourself. But it, it's, it's just a matter of training your brain to be like, hey, you know what? Nah, I, I can do this. And let me at least try, you know. I totally agree with you. I think that the doubt is a good thing. Because I think it's you questioning your process. And I think if you're yeah. questioning your process, I think that allows you to be thorough. I think it allows yeah. you to pay attention to the details. So I think doubt is a good thing. But then t- totally, we need to have a tool bag of confidence to yeah. combat doubt. So it's like, okay, doubt is here. But you know what? I am good at this. You know what? And I'm going to I'm gonna push forward. So mm-hmm. did you ever leave uh, California again, like as an adult, uh you know, to live or did you, have you always continued to live in California? You know, I got to say, because of Hollywood, I have had the opportunity to live elsewhere. Um, because Hollywood is literally essentially leaving Hollywood. I've had to live in Atlanta to film um, several times for a few different shows over the course of about maybe five to six years. And now, even though I'm spending my hiatus here in California, now I'm living in Vancouver, Canada. Cause that's where we're filming that woman. So, and I've been doing that for this past year, but even before that I had to live up there for a year for a different show. So it's, it's, it's a broad answer, but because of this job, I, it's now a traveling opportunity. So yes, I've, I've lived outside of Cali. How long have you been an actress? Oh man. <laughs> I don't even from know. Your, from, your, from your first pay gig to now. Okay, well that yeah, that definitely changes things. Uh, <laughs> from the first paid gig, oh my gosh, I can't. I you know what, fifteen years, yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> I just hate saying it because I'm like, dang, that's a long time. Um, 15 years. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I, I say that as humble as I can, Sylvester, because this, this business is hard. So, you know, to the fact that I've been able to do it this long, um, it, it's nothing short of a blessing. Like it, it's, it's, it's tough, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's been about 15 years. Wow. It's crazy. What was the very first kind of role you got? Do you remember? Yes. Uh, there's actually, there's two, they kind of blend together, but I was, I had a small little guest spot on a show called, uh, 90210 but it, it's not the original one it was the reboot of 90210 and I played Savannah I had just a couple of lines I was somewhere towards the back and uh but I came up to the lead actress and I said some stuff to her and and then that was it it was a quick little bit but what's funny is sometimes I get people sending me comments asking me about that role and I'm like really it was just like two or three scenes like y'all remember that <laughs> yeah it's like I barely remember <laughs> So but, from a from a timeline perspective, you had that that kind of first role. You got paid. You you know you're interacting with the lead the lead actress. Where does that fall with your your pageant when you won the pageant? Oh, so that came afterwards. So when I when I won Miss California Teen, I, I was able to get back into acting school and I got an agent, which then got me into commercials. So I was doing a lot of commercials before I started doing TV work. Um, so all of that, the, the TV stuff came after I won the pageants. But as far as like just doing, which which I guess commercials are TV, but hopefully, sorry, I'm, I'm speaking in like little acting terms. So there's, you know, there's TV, film, and then there's commercials. So the commercials came before doing regular TV shows. Mm. So... If you meet another actress and, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm Susie. I'm an actress. A, a question you may ask her is, hey, are you in commercial TV or film? Is that like a, a question you would ask? Uh, no, you you don't really. I will say because, like I said, this business is very uh, it's, it, it can be very difficult. So that's definitely not a question that people are asking because it can be a little offensive in a way. Like, cause oh. like I said, 90% of the time we are auditioning. It is very, very true. Like 10% of the time you're working. And so, you know, to go up to somebody who's like a fellow actor and be like, yeah, so uh, what are you on or whatever? And they might not be on anything, you know, and it could be kind of like a, like a stab to the heart, like, Hey, you know, like I will say, most of the time, if you ask an actor that, or if we're all just having dialogue, literally everyone's talking about how they're auditioning. There, there's only maybe like a few people that are saying I'm working or, or what, or what have you. Um, but yeah, everyone's auditioning. That is the job. That is the job. Okay. So financially help out the common person understand, because the majority of us, we see, you know, the big, big movie stars. So we mm -hmm. just see you know, Will Smith, he gets A-list actor, 25 million a film, 20 million yeah. a film. You know, we see the Avengers grossing a billion and we see Robert Downey Jr. Just, you know, we see those names and we associate those high ranking like dollar amounts. But uh, if you kind of think about it, that that can't be everybody like everyone can't be making mm -hmm. Avengers money. So right. could you kind of walk us through and you don't have to disclose any of your personal information, but just kind of mm -hmm. walk us through like maybe some of the roles or like, you know, what a commercial may pay just so we can kind of get mm -hmm. an idea. Well, commercials can actually pay pretty good. Like I've got some friends that have told me that they've made like 
you know, $30,000, $40,000 on a commercial. And I'm like, who is your agent? <laughs> like, give me the number. That's crazy. It, 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 it depends on, it depends on the product, you know, um, you know, we'll see, I don't want to, okay, I'm trying to figure out how I can answer these questions without naming brands. You know what I'm saying? Yep, but it, it, it definitely depends on what you're selling. So if you're doing a commercial for X and that's a very, very big, you know, food, uh, fast food company, you're going to probably make some good money because that, that, uh, that spot is going to air all over, but it definitely does depend if it's a national commercial or regional. Um, I've booked mm. a lot of regional stuff, and obviously that regional pay is going to be different from a national commercial. There, there was a um, there's a brand that I did. It's a it's a telephone company, but they only wanted African American actresses and actors for a certain spot that was going to be airing in the South. So that's going to have its own, you know. A financial bracket and, and you know and it, it sucks because you're like hey i want to get that big pay but it's only going to air there so they're like this is all that you get so that's a factor um basically what your resume looks like that that also is a factor so you know someone can come in with you know let's say six credits but they're going to look at that they're going to say well what are the six credits it's like okay so you were on this show the reoccurring guest star okay That'll help to um, come up with your quote, which I got to say, the business is changing a lot right now, Sylvester, because everybody would have a quote. So let's just say your quote was, I mean, we, I'm just going to say some crazy number, $50. And every time you book a job, you're going to go up from there, right? So it's like, okay, I did this last job for 50 so now you got to pay me 55 and 55 60 and so on, right? Well, now it's changing. Apparently they're getting rid of the quotes and now they're like, we're just going to pay you for what we want to pay you. And that's been kind of a little bit of an issue with the actors. Cause it's like, nah, like I worked for that 50. I'm not getting any less than that. You know what I'm saying? There's a whole union for all of this stuff that helps to protect us and, and fight those battles for us. Sorry. I know that was a really long answer, but it's hard to explain without throwing like numbers and stuff. So I think that's the best. Like, oh, that, that is exactly what we need because, look, my, my people here on the podcast, we love long conversation. Okay. We love things to explain to us because, honestly, we're, we're trying to we're trying to understand. We're trying to understand mm -hmm. and just put ourselves in other people's shoes. Listeners yeah. here are very empathetic and very curious. Mm -hmm. So with, with the, I just feel like, OK, outside looking in, I just feel like you don't have a normal day to day. Like every single day is different as yeah. as a uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a work, let's just say a working actor, actress, is that like the right term? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it could still be the same as, as a person that's not, that's not working, but yes, it's it. my friend defined it the best. Being an actor is an on-call job. That, that is, that is the most accurate thing I've ever heard in, in regards to this business, whether you're working or not. And then you mentioned you were saying, OK, you, you were talking about your example and you're like, hey, this person has six credits. This person has seven mm -hmm. credits. What does the credit? What does that mean? What is that referring to? So I'm trying to see how I can equate this to I mean, it's really just like, you know, anybody that's got like a regular, you know, a normal person's job, you know, in, in, the, in the regular workforce. You know, you've got your resume, which shows where you worked previously. Well, for us, it's literally that exact same thing. We just call it credits. So it, it, it's going to also show where we worked previously. So on mine, 
you know, you'll see something on there for Teen Wolf. You might see CSI Miami. Those are the, quote, places that I worked. We just call them credits. So that would be credits. Got it. Okay. Yes. And then you just mentioned something. You kind of just triggered my brain. You say a regular person's job. Mm-hmm. And there was, and you may you may be privy to this, but I believe it was about two or three years ago, there was a picture of an actor, an actor who was bagging groceries at the Trader Joe's in L.A. Mm-hmm. And yes. he used to be, you, you, know, you know this story? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Who, who, was he on the Cosby show? Was he on? He, Yes, yes, he was on the Cosby's. And oh my gosh, why am I my my brain is leaving me? I'm gonna have to look it up. But yes, um, and 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 just to throw it out there, what I'm saying, a, a regular person's job. I need everybody to understand. I'm not dissing that. I'm actually dissing actors when I'm saying that because you guys have the normal day to day nine to five. We we're not nine to fives. We're over here trying to get jobs. So that that's what I mean by that. So anyway, mm-hmm. I just wanted to put that out there. But I'm actually oh. I need to look him up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look that up. So for the context, so for people who who don't know, who are just hearing about this for the first time, basically, I'm sure most of you heard of the Cosby show. It was a very popular show in the 80s and early 90s. And it gave it was uh, basically all African-American cast. It gave a lot of it gave a uh, great starting point to a lot of um, Mm -hmm. actors like Malcolm Mm -hmm. Jamal Warner. Yeah. um, You know, we're not going to, you know, name the host. Jeffrey Owens. There we go. Jeffrey Jeffrey Owens. So Jeffrey Owens was uh, a character on the show. And I believe he played the boyfriend at the time to Mm -hmm. one of the Cosby Cosby daughters. Yeah. Great. I I personally grew up watching him. So, like, I personally grew up watching him perform. Mm -hmm. um, And and so I was familiar with his work. So what ended up happening was he was bagging groceries at the Trader Joe's. And Mm -hmm. I guess some lady just took a picture of him, which is, like, absolutely disrespectful. Like, video too. Mm-hmm. Who just randomly takes pictures of people at their job, but that's another story. And then she like shares it to Twitter, and she's like, "Hey, this is so and so from the Cosby's. Why is he yeah. working here?" And it was such like a shame based thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you feel about that? What were your thoughts when that came out? You know, especially you know you're you're explaining to us that hey, ninety percent of the time we're trying to get work. Yeah. So there's like no shame in a man working no. at Trader Joe's. Like walk, walk me through, walk me through your thoughts and feelings on that. Yeah, no, that really frustrated me to no end because, you know, I, I think what it is, you know, people see, you know, the Angelina Jolie's, the Kerry Washington's, the Denzel Washington's, all of them. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay. These people are on television. They're making big bucks. They're taken care of. They don't ever have to blah, blah, blah. And, and, and that's, that's what's frustrating <laughs> because people don't understand. We, we literally are regular people and not everybody is Denzel Washington. The, the majority of us are not A-listers. We're all down like we're, we're D and below, you know what I'm saying? And so we're, we're just regular per- people trying to work. And so when you're working in a profession that is literally 90% of the time auditioning and you do not get paid for auditions, you have to find other ways of income. And so for myself, like I didn't just jump into acting and boom, now I got my dollar. I'm good. Bye. No, I was working at the mall. I was working at Sephora for like five years. I also was a waitress prior to that. Um, It's like, you got to do what you got to do. And so you know, in order for us to get to the auditions, we have to take these other jobs so that we can, you know, have that gas money so we can put food on the table for ourselves so that we can um, go to acting classes. So, you know, seeing that Jeffrey was, was, you know, working 
you know, a quote, regular day-to-day job, you know, the brother's doing what he's got to do to be able to provide for his family. Like, you know, sure, he might be getting residuals and all that sort of thing, you know, from the Cosby show. But, you know, after a while, those things start to depreciate, you know, over the years. And, and to be honest, like no one knows what his deal was, you know, when he, so a deal is your, your contract. So we don't know what he signed on for the Cosby. So, so for people to just assume like, oh, he was on the Cosby show. So he's got to be making this kind of money and this and that. You don't know what the brother's doing. And here's the other thing too, that's very important to note sometimes when you see actors that are, you know, that are being, you know, waitresses or people that are, you know, working at Sephora, whatever it may be, they may not just be doing that for financial reasons. Sometimes they're just doing that for their own psychological well-being. You know, it's it's not about money. You know, they want to stay connected to people because this can be a very isolating job because you're just sitting at home waiting for the freaking audition to come. Right. So, you know, taking, you know, quote, regular jobs is, is what helps to kind of keep you active. You know, it's also, I know some people that do it just so they can go and network with people. You know what I'm saying? Like they might be the hostess over there at Warner Brothers signing people in that are coming in for auditions. Well, by being there, you're going to meet some directors and producers. But an outside person might look at that and be like, oh, well, you're not doing well. You're just the, the secretary behind. It's like, you see what I'm saying? Like, you don't know what the, what the, what the thing is. And we shouldn't be shaming anybody. Sorry for this long answer, but that one really offends me, okay? I don't like that, what they were doing to him. That's, it's just sad. Free your energy. You don't have to apologize. Yeah. We're we, we here for this. Yeah. <laughs> we're here for this. Okay, so when you were working at Sephora, what was your, like, mental health like? You know, because I'm assuming it's like you have this, like, burning desire yeah. to keep getting new roles and just kind of build your, get your, get more credits, get your name out there. Finally get to a point where you can sustain yourself off of, you know, mm-hmm. your acting ability, but then it's like, you're punching your clock at Sephora. So you're putting in 20, 30, 40 hours there. Like yeah. what was your mental health like when you were going, when you're at that point? Yeah. So it was, um, it was, it was pretty good in the beginning. <laughs> Cause I, it, it was fun. You know, I, I actually, I can do makeup. It's fun. It's a wonderful way to, um, you know, to do art. It was cool. But, you know, about the third year, I remember I was starting to get really depressed because I remember saying to my folks, like, you know, this is cool, but this is not it. And I would, I would work and then I would, you know, literally take from that money put it into a bank account so that I could afford acting classes or gas money to drive all the way from Fontana to Hollywood, which is about an hour drive, you know, without traffic. Um, And so I I remember having to do that and how exhausting it was because um, we got a new manager who she was trying to work with my schedule. But like I said, like with acting, it's an on-call job. So so I'll be at work, right? You know, I'm at one o'clock. I'm doing a makeover on somebody. One thirty. Here comes an audition for the next day. I got to start studying on it, but I'm working a one to ten shift. You know, so when I get off, I'm tired. <laughs> but you got to stay up. You got to learn those lines. You got to do this audition. But this is where it was getting stressful too. Is let's say the audition is at ten o'clock in the morning. Well, I got to be at work at eleven, and the audition is over an hour away. But you got to tell the manager that you can't make, you know what I'm saying? Like it was, it was very, very stressful. And so I just, I remember by year four, 
um, really just saying to the managers, my manager at Sephora, I was saying like, look, I got to cut down on these hours. You know, my passion is not here. My passion is, you know, up on this screen. Like, can you work with me? And she, she did. She, she, um, she let up on the schedule for me, which was very, very helpful. But letting up on the schedule also means I'm not working as many hours, which means how am I supposed to be able to afford acting class? So it was always just this juggle, you know? Um, and by year five, I was, I really, I was so stressed out and just done with it. But that's when the career started to pick up a little bit more. And that's when I said, you know what, I'm going to just step out on some faith here. Once again, believe it, conceive it, receive it. I'm going to quit my day job and I'm going to pursue this full time. And I've been doing it ever since. How does that feel to be able to know now that you can look back and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Mm -hmm. It took me about 20 years to get here. Mm -hmm. You said you started at 10, at least 20 years. Yeah. yeah. How, How does that feel? It feels amazing. It really does. Like, wow. Just, just even hearing you say it like that, it's, um, you know, I'm thankful. I'm very thankful. And because like I said, and I I hate to be a broken record on it, but but I try to make sure that everybody knows this business is not easy. And so the fact that, um, that I I am able to do this now and, and to, uh, be pursuing it even now at this age without having to have anything on the side, um, it's, it's, it's very humbling, you know, because it's not everybody's path. It's not everybody's story. And so I know not to take any of it for granted and to just enjoy it while it's here and and to just keep pressing on, you know, and I, I try to remind myself, especially when things get very, very, very frustrating in this business, um, that, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta just be thankful, be thankful for where I'm at right now, because, you know, in a year or two and now, like the show that I'm on, it could be done. And then I'm right back you know, in the grind of it. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for it and it's very humbling. Okay. So I want to get a little specific into your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were in a movie called unstoppable. Yeah. That was my very first film. <laughs> the, the big stars in there, Denzel Washington, Chris Pine, yes. Rosario Dawson. Yeah. Talk to, me about, played, talk to me about that. Movie. Yeah. I played one of Denzel Washington's daughters which was so cool because I remember only having, I think like three credits at the time and I auditioned and I remember thinking that it was a big deal. I was like, wow, okay, this is cool. Cause I don't know if I knew that Denzel was attached to it yet. A lot of these projects when you audition, they don't, they don't always tell you who's in it yet. You're just like, okay, here I am. So I remember auditioning. I did a good job. At least so I felt, and I didn't hear anything for about a month or two. So I figured it was done. Well, I get a phone call from my agent saying, you have a private um, audition process, whatever, with Tony Scott. I'm like, Tony Scott, you know, unfortunately he's passed on now, but I'm like, wait, what? And so they had me come in, I signed with the secretary and literally it was just an audition with the Tony Scott. You guys, he's huge director. Anyway, I can go on and on about that. But I auditioned, I ended up booking it. And then around that time is when I found out that it was to be Denzel's daughter for for the movie. And it was it was so much fun, Sylvester, because I'm like, wow, right out the gate. My first film is with this guy. And he was so cool to work with really, really down to earth man. 
And um, yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was great. <laughs> so what's like a when you're filming a movie, what's like a, a typical day like filming a movie? Oh, it's definitely uh, it, it works at a different speed. And, and and let me say that the speed of it is actually a lot different now, even from when I booked Unstoppable. Now it's a lot faster, apparently. But um, but yeah, so you're usually it's usually about maybe two months, maybe three it's uh even though you're only filming it in two or three months it's to me it's a lot slower um which is weird because some people will tell you it's faster but um yeah it's a lot slower of a pace and I, I didn't have a huge role on the part but um but I remember we had to film in Pen- yeah Pennsylvania and and yeah it, it's 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 there's a lot of similarities where like you know they tell you the call time you go in you film and you do your thing but I just remember the the cameras being a lot different, you know, because there's a difference, you know, with the, with a film type of a camera versus like a TV camera. There wasn't as many of them because it's not a multi-camera show. Like it's a film. So just the whole vibe of it just felt different. It, it was cool. I, I prefer film, to be honest with you. Okay. And then now you have a current role on the show Batwoman. Yeah. Good how, how did that Batwoman. audition go? Yeah, so I remember auditioning for this last um, last January. Wow, yeah, January of 2019. This was my very, very first pilot right out the gate. And you know what's really crazy, Sylvester, is I remember because, you know, I've been going up and down with my own little bouts of depression here and there. And I remember um new year's 2019 i was like i'm not doing this anymore i gotta make a change i gotta do something to get myself out of this rut and i really started focusing on my mental health and i remember just feeling so good so light and then they send me this audition um and they didn't say that it was for batwoman if i remember correctly like it's one of those things once again it was very secretive and my character on the show is sophie but that was not the character that was named on the on the audition sheet. So I didn't know what was going on. But I remember going in and I met with Caroline Dries, Sarah Schechter, and David Rappaport. And Caroline and Sarah are the so that's the showrunner and one of the executive producers. And then David Rappaport is the head of casting for the CW. And so I just remember I remember being really, really nervous and I remember being a little insecure because I was, so here's the thing with me. When I go into an audition, I do not look at the other girls on the, on the call, on the, um, on the sign in sheet. And I don't do that because knowing who else was in there sometimes would have an effect on me. Cause it's like, Oh my God. Okay. Oh, such and such was in here. Shoot. They probably gonna be looking at her. They like her better than like, you know what I'm saying? You get in your head. So I always try to come in, sign my name, sit down. Well, when you're sitting down, now you're sitting with everybody, right? So you see people. And I remember freaking out. I was like, dang, like, I don't know if I wore the right outfit. These girls came in here looking like this. And I remember calling my mom. I was like, mom, I I think I got the wrong outfit on. But she was like, nope, just wear what you got. Just give it a shot. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, yeah. maybe Maybe they got it wrong. Maybe I got the right outfit on. I went in there. And I felt like, honestly, I got to say, I remember leaving that audition room and I felt it inside. I was like, I think I just booked this. It was an energy that I felt even from, even from Caroline. I I just felt like, I I was like, this, this seems right for me. And, um, 
And for me personally, Sylvester, whenever I audition, I, I've always said that as long as I feel like I did a really good job, I don't care if I book it because I know that I gave it my all. I did the best that I could do. And if I don't get it based off of that, at least I know it, I, I know I did a good job. And that's how I felt when I left out of that room. So yeah, it felt good. <laughs> wow. So any young actors or actresses listening, it sounds like uh, from what you're telling us throughout your stories, is confidence has been a really big key yeah. uh, to your journey. It's just having that confidence in, in your, your process. Yeah. And I know that as a writer, I'm very confident in my writing abilities. Um, very, very confident. And mm-hmm. I know that for me, what gives me the confidence is is the the practice, is the amount of of, of time that I put into the craft. Yeah. Um, to practicing, studying, learning. Um, so what's it like? Like, how does one practice being an actress? You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know you mentioned you get a script and then like the night before, like, do you actually like, do you actually remember every word of the script before you record the next day? Like, what's like the practice like? Yeah. So for me, I, I don't memorize the whole script. Oh, heck no. That is way too much. Cause now you're memorizing other people's dialogue and scenes that you have nothing to do with. Like that's, too much. <laughs> but I will memorize all of my own stuff. So it's very important, um, especially especially during pilot season, if you even can, like when you get an audition, always ask for the script. Always ask for the script because the script, the story surrounding your scene is going to inform your performance. So sometimes you can't get the script because they're being very secretive and they don't want you, you know, spoiling it and sharing it to the media, whatever. So all you have sometimes is the sides. The sides are just, basically the sides are just your one scene or your two scenes or, does that make sense? Sorry, I might be, sometimes actor talk, I have to remember that some people might not understand. Keep keep Um, rolling, keep rolling. Okay, okay. (laughs) But so yeah, when you you get the audition, ask for the script, read the script. Because I'll tell you, it has changed how I would audition a scene sometimes. Because it's like, oh, okay, now I know that Sophie did this and that back then. So she's probably going to act like this. And so I'll get the lines down. And then for me personally, some people don't do this, but I'll grab on my phone the voice recorder and I'll record the dialogue of the person who I'm talking to in the scene. And I'll just basically just run it because you, you don't always have someone that you can run the scene with. But if, if you've got a friend that you can call or someone that you trust having the sides, which you usually you usually cannot share it with anybody. But if you do have that person run the scene with you, because what it does is it just kind of it just gets you in the flow of the scene, because the problem is. And I guess this is, you know, where you got to kind of, you know, give actors some credit because sometimes people be dissing us. They're like, look, it is an art, people. It's an art. But we'll get this, this, the, the size and it's just words on a paper. You got to bring those words to life. And so how do you do that? For me personally, like I can't do it without getting it out loud because that's what a human being would do. You know, unless I'm reading a book or something, if I'm being asked to here's a script here, we need you to act it. Well, I can't act it until I, I get it up on its feet and I start actually saying it out loud. So I will try my best to just run it as much as I can, basically with myself on a tape recorder. And then, um, and then I'll make my little notes if I have to. Like I've heard some people, they actually rewrite their dialogue. I, I've actually tried that in this past season for 
for Batwoman. And I, I didn't particularly love it, honestly, but for some people that does work. So, but yeah, just, you know, getting it moving, getting it up on its feet. That's, that's, that's what helps. And so when the director, you know, he, he does a light cam- camera action thing that we all kind of think of <laughs> is the expectation of the actors and actresses like, Hey, you better know every freaking line. Or if you don't, there's a problem or like, do you guys have help? Like someone to like read out the dialogue if you forget or stumble? Yes. So there is a script supervisor. Thank God. Uh, her job is literally to manage and monitor the script and to make sure that we are hitting our beats and that the tone is there. Be paying attention to the tone. The tone is really more for the director and the the writer or producer on set to, to pay attention to. But her job literally is to make sure that all of those lines are being said. And so it is expected of us that we are supposed to be completely off book and off book means you are, you've got it all memorized. Like all that they would have to do is come in and say, Hey, Sylvester, we really like that line. Let's add this to it. You got to be able to add that line to it. And you, you have to be able to add it because you already know what the other dialogue is. So if you're coming in and you have not, you're not prepared, you don't know what you're doing you ain't going to look too good on that set. (laughs) You're going to look like someone who's unprepared because you are. And so, you know, just like it's, you know, the director's, the director's job to come in and direct the script supervisor's job is to come in, you know, manage the script. You're the actor. Your job is to come in and act. And part of that is memorizing your lines. So you, yes, it is expected to have that down. That is incredible. I'm a person who I love, I love cinema. Uh, obviously as a writer, like I love the writing. I always pay attention yeah. to the dialogue. I always look at the shots. I always look at how they're framing shots. I look at the, the color yeah. corrections. I look at everything. It's so fun. Like like yeah. the last movie that I saw that I absolutely loved from a, from like a cinematic perspective was this movie 1917. Did you have a chance to see that one? You know what? I have not seen that, but everyone's been talking about it. Didn't they... Isn't it like shot looking like it's all one one big scene? Yeah, so yeah, well, that's exactly that. what they were trying to do. They were trying to make it so it's like all one big scene. Oh, so wow. it's like you just got – and then they they were doing like 360 camera view. So, you know, the camera was wow. like spinning around the guy. So it's like mm-hmm. how do you get like the boom mic and the lights and the extras? And like how do you get all these people out of the way yeah. on a 360 spin? And like for <laughs> as an actor or actress to like hold the emotion for like an eight-minute, ten-minute scene, mm-hmm. it's just like – it's just incredible, incredible work. Um, And that's something that I personally like is I, I do like longer scenes, like because yeah. I like to see that that skill set. And mm-hmm. I think it is because I'm a writer. So I think in writing, yeah. like you're always looking at the detail of a scene and Absolutely. like what's being said and what's not being said. Mm-hmm. What is what's a piece of cinema, whether it's like TV show, movie, what's something that you are not in, but that you you really like? Oh, my goodness. Whoa. Um, gosh, there's so many um i'm trying to think i mean okay so it's a little silly but even from um okay so i'm gonna say back in the day (laughs) which is crazy but back in the 90s this movie is i mean this movie's been remade several times but there's a movie called little women which has now since been redone um within this past year but the one i'm talking about had like claire danes kirsten dunst 
this movie at the time is actually one of the movies that inspired me to want to be an actress. And, you know, it's about these four sisters and they're trying to make it during a very difficult time where, where women didn't have the same type of, um, you know, the same type of rights and opportunities as the men. And anyway, 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 just going back to the, to the creative side of it, what really inspired me about that film was just everyone's portrayal of, of the struggle and the difficulty during that time. It was just, it, it, I don't know what it is, but the acting and it just really, really inspired me. And, and I've always said that I want to do like deep kind of work like that. Like it's, it's not that I don't love, like, you know, for example, Teen Wolf, you know, I'm on a, I'm on a motorcycle and I've, I've got a shotgun and I'm shooting stuff like that stuff is so much fun. But, you know, when you've got movies that have, you know, far deeper meaning and, and it's got relation to things that are, um, you know, that are, that were going on that was really, you know, serious in life. Uh, it just, it just brings out a whole different side of the art and, and stuff like that really, really inspires me. So yeah, that was definitely one of them. You're reading my care package book right now, right? Yes. I love your care package book. It's the best. It is well, so good. Can I just tell you the reason why that book is so amazing is it is so freaking practical and relatable. Like I am, and, and sorry to go off on this tangent, but like, I am literally like the self-help freak. All of my books are some sort of self-love, self-help journey. I don't really ever make it through all of them, but your book, I cannot put it down because it's just so real. And, and, and it's, and I feel like, I feel like you're, you're like in my head and the way you're writing it is just exactly how it feels and what it's like. And it's just, anyway, I, I can go on and on. Like I started your book on the, on an airplane about a couple of weeks ago and I got like halfway through the book by the end of the day. I, I just, I couldn't put it down. It's so good. Well, thank you. Thank you. Like your uh, brain is just, it's insane. I like, okay, so let me tell you where I'm at in my career. So I've mm -hmm. been, you know, I've been writing self-help books for eight years and I have one more and it's my last one. I'm done after this. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm going to tell you why, because, so the next, the next one is called loving yourself properly. And mm. this book mm. is exactly as it sounds. It's I'm all excited. about self-love. <laughs> Everyone always says like, oh, you need to love yourself. Well, how, man? Teach me yeah. how. Yeah. Show me how, like break it down for me. Like I can't love myself because of here's what I'm going through. So how do yeah. I get over that? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so I just thought, I'm like, okay, I was like care package, free your energy. I need like care package is really centered around healing. Uh, free your energy is really centered around like freeing yourself from certain ideas, thoughts, and behavior. Mm -hmm. And then I just realized, I'm like, no, I need to complete this with a book on self-love. And oh, that's good. That's good. So yeah, so I'm turning it into my audiobook guy actually Wednesday. I have a deadline that is tomorrow. Wow. So I'll be turning it into him and then I'll my hands will be completely dry of it. I'll be done with it. Mm -hmm. But I'm moving towards writing my novels because I've been working on novels for nice. a couple of years. But yeah. Uh, it's like writing a self-help book and writing a novel, it comes from a different place, like mm -hmm. creatively. Right. Um, and right. I'm, sure, I'm sure you know what I mean with the different oh, yeah. things you've done creatively. It's like it just comes from such a different place. Like mm -hmm. it's just a different 
you know, when you're writing a novel, you're telling the entire story, the detail of every single thing. Yes. Um, it's got to be like thoroughly done too, because there's different players in there. So yeah, it's, exactly. it's a different beast. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so what I realize is I have to, in order for me to write the novel that I want to write up to my standards, I have to get like everything off my plate. Like I can't do anything. Like I have two courses. I've got the podcast. I have so yeah. many things that I'm doing. But when I do the novel, I don't want anything. I don't want anything. Yeah, that's and good. two things. I have two questions. My first question is, when you read books, do you read in your voice? Or are you like coming up with like act- hmm. actress voices that you're using? Hmm. Um, okay, wait, you mean just reading a book or a script? No, when you're reading a book. Just reading. Oh, well, definitely. Gosh, I've never really thought about that. See, I got your book right now. Um, and it's, it's, I've never thought about that. I guess it's, it's my voice. It's, it's my so voice. So you read I'm it, not... okay. you read it as you, cause your scripts, I know you don't read as just you, you're reading it as it's character. Yes. Yeah. That I'm actually, and, and I'm, I'm very, very visual. So, um, when I'm reading my scripts, I'm actually visualizing, but, but I have to say that even parts of your book, well, you should see how I got your book so marked up right now and <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture of it. Um, but yeah, I, I even have to sometimes visualize even when I'm reading your book, but I don't, I'm not reading it in my head in your voice. If, if that's what you're asking, like, I, I guess it's definitely my voice. I've never really paid attention to that, but I, I I'm not hearing you read it when I'm reading it, if that makes sense. <laughs> okay. Cause one thing that I do when I'm writing, when I'm working on my books is mm-hmm. I read them back to myself, but mm-hmm. I read them in other people's voices. Interesting. Interesting. It's really weird, but like, I was relating to you when you were talking about like what you were doing with your process. I will read my book back, but I'll be somebody else. Cause I try to, mm-hmm. I try to get into the reader's head. I'm like, okay, yeah. how are they going to interpret this? You know, how are they yeah. going to see this? No, that's good. That, that actually, that's, no, that totally makes sense. And that, and that makes sense that you would do that because yours is actually, the book is something that other people are going to have. So yeah, that, that's actually really cool. I've never even thought about that. So that's a good process to have with this. Yeah, I'm a little psycho about it, but you know, no, that's, I feel like good. that's how you create good art. You gotta have some crazy process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know for me, I'm about to work on my novel when we get off of our podcast call. That's easy for me. I just sit down, open my computer, and I just let my brain go, mm-hmm. and you know, different elements will come to me. But how do you create emotion from a particular scene? You know, if the scene says, you know so-and-so betrayed you or something it's like how do you come up with that emotion how do you just make an emotion come to you yeah so for me that's definitely been one of my most difficult I guess quote skills to tap into until this past year so there's there's different ways to get into it Um, some people will actually create in their minds the whole life of who they think this character is. Uh, so for example, let's say the, you know, the character is Melissa and Melissa's got a really difficult past and she's got to be emotional in this part of the scene. Well, there is a skill where people will go and they'll just imagine what does that look like? You know, you're not being yourself right now. Imagine what does Melissa look like? What does her hair look like? Okay. Now go through that experience. It says that she was, you know, for example, you know, molested as a child in, in, as crazy as the sound, Sylvester, there, my old acting coach would literally say, go into your mind, imagine yourself as Melissa. Now think about what it would be like if that had happened. 
And so that for me personally was really difficult because I, I didn't want to have to imagine such dark things because my personal motto, like I said, is believe it, conceive it, receive it. And I, and I used to also, I used to always get into a little bit of a thing with, with my acting coach. And I would say, you know, I don't want to be, you know, conceiving such dark things, you know, I'm just supposed to be acting here. Right. And so the other side of it is using personal, something from your personal life to be able to get that emotion out. And so this past year in the storyline, I was able to find some parallels with my own story and my own personal life. So when I was having to go and do certain scenes, it was kind of, I don't want to say it was easy, but all I was doing was I was just changing the face to whoever that person was in my own life, if that makes sense. Um, you know, when I'm having to think about, you know, okay, I have to think about this right now in the scene. Well, because there is a parallel to something in my own life, I would go and think about that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's not a technique that I personally love because I've always been kind of against using, um, using your personal life, but I will say it actually worked for me this past year and, um, and it was how I was able to do it. So I know it's a long, drawn-out answer, but it's, it's wow. emotion is a it's very so abstract deep. thing. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to. Yeah, no, that's definitely deep for us. So, what about something that, um, you know, like uh, an intimate scene where it's like a portrayal of sex, you're you're kissing someone. Yeah. How does that, you know, most of us are thinking of I'm going to kiss someone when you know there's an intimate connection. I want to bond with this person. I want to you know maybe have sex with them and you know, but it's like okay, you have to portray a kiss. Yeah. How how do you get into a hey, I'm attracted to this person. I'm gonna kiss them. like are you even kissing them the same way you would kiss a boyfriend or husband? Like yeah. how does that aspect of it, you know, how does that work? Yeah. So <laughs> it's um trying to think because you know, I've definitely been the love interest on several different shows and now it's become second nature to to just hop on a set and like okay I have to ki- okay let's go like it's it's just it's it's just second nature but I think you know having a, a very very good bond and chemistry with the person of course that's definitely going to help but you may not always have that because I mean let's be honest like in the real world if you're you know if when you're dating like you're able to go and you know you guys go and have dinner you go to the movies you guys are Netflix and chilling like you're building that vibe well on a set, you know, all we have is like the green room, hair and makeup trailer, let's go. And so it it, it is part of the skill of, of what it is to be a storyteller, of what it is to be an actor. It's like, we, we, we can't always, you know, have that luxury of being, you know, an actual real couple or a real, you know, whatever the storyline is, where you've got all that time behind you, like, that is the skill of acting. You have to be able to go up there and just jump into it and make it look believable. So, you know, it's explaining how to really do that. It's, it's, it's hard to explain, but I just, I just give the credit to the craft and, and, and being able to have that training behind you to be able to literally turn it on and off when they call action and cut. Wow. What is the rest of 2020 going to look like for you? Well, I hope it looks like me going outside and being right. around regular folks, you know, not having to do stuff on the internet. Um, but the rest of this year, you know, so we have been picked up for a second season, which I'm so thankful for. 
So I am going to have to return back to Vancouver, Canada. We just don't know when, but um, but we will be going back up there to film. So I'm very, very excited about that. But, you know, part of being an actor for me personally is I, I always tell people, like, you have to understand your influence, which that's why I'm, like, so in love with you because you you understand your influence. And, and with me, you know, I can't be a person... This, this is just me personally. I don't want to diss other actors, but me personally, I can't be on television, you know, you know, with mostly for this demographic, getting these followers, whatever, and, and not use my influence for something good. And so that, that's why I started my own empowerment programs. And, and I have my own empowerment conference that I do once a year. And my big 2020 conference was supposed to be this June. And we're now having to move it into a digital sense. So, you know, there's a long drawn out answer as to what my 2020 looks like, but I'm having to now find new ways to, you know, come into the homes of, of those kids, those foster youth kids that would be coming to Girl Talk. How do I impact them? How do I get the word and the messages to them that they need for their own self-love uh, journey? So I'm working on that and I've got a new empowerment outreach program that I'm doing now with this app that I just partnered with. I'm actually going to be launching that tomorrow. It's called Empower You. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to continue working on those things. And I've been telling myself for years to start my Girl Talk book. <laughs> and eventually I will be getting that going. So we'll see. <laughs> Or if you need help with the book part, let me know. I can oh, yeah. I, I already know who I'm hitting up. It's, it's going to be Sylvester McNutt. Be like, hey, so uh, how'd you start? <laughs> Absolutely. No, you'll be hearing from me again for sure. What are, what are you going to have to overcome within yourself to keep going? to, you know, stay motivated, to keep your energy right, to, you know, it, it can be draining, mo motivating others and empowering others. And, you know, you're, you're transitioning, you know, in, in, in your career, what are you going to have to overcome to keep this up, to keep this energy going? Hmm. Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, so for me, what I have to overcome, and even now I have to literally get out of my own way. I, I unfortunately will legitimately stand in my own way mentally all the time. And I have to literally pick myself up, move it to the side and say, I'm going. And so how that looks for me is when that doubt kicks in or when that depression's kicking in, that negativity that whatever it may be that kind of gets in there and gets in my way, I literally am working now to find skills and, and all that sort of stuff, even, you know, from, you know, reading your book and, you know, listening to podcasts and working on my own, you know, self love journey routines. I have to, you know, what is it? I need to fine tune my skills to move those things out of the way because, you know, that definitely will come up. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I try to be very transparent in that area because I, 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 I don't want people to look at me and, and be like, oh, my gosh, like that girl, she's got it going on. Like, look at her, blah, blah, blah. Um, no, I'm just like everybody else, you know. And so I, I, I have to just do a better job and a more consistent job of, of choosing different thoughts and choosing a different path for my own self. And and that that's a skill that that takes practice in doing so. So. 
um, yeah, just to answer that, I just, I need to overcome getting out of my own way. And, and I do do that, but sometimes I will let it, I'll let, you know, quote my own way stand in the way for a little bit too long. And then it's like, well, where's Megan at? Where'd she go? Um, and I think just remembering that I am making a difference and that there have been so many girls who have been coming to my conferences for the last eight years. That, that literally subscribe to all my stuff and they love it. It's like that motivates me, Sylvester. Like that gives me purpose. And so just remembering that and letting that be my focus, you know, that that's that's enough. So so yeah, there there's there's another long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just be talking. <laughs> Thank you for being so thorough, so real, yeah. so open, so honest. Just yes. just giving us the ins and out of not only your skill, but, you know, your life and things you're working on. How can we get connected um, with you and, you know, the um, uh, the conferences you're doing? Like, how can we find everything you're doing? Yes. So you can head over to my website. It's girltalknow.org. Or you can also type in megantandyfoundation.org. I'm also on Instagram, you know, as my own self at Megan Tandy, but I do have an empowerment page specifically um, for empowering today's youth and women. It's at the Empire Girls. And so not to throw in another long thing, but I just partnered with a wonderful app called All Social, where I'm going to be releasing my new empowerment program called Empower You. And I'm going to be launching that tomorrow. So, yeah, there's all sorts of ways you can get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. Nice. Love it. I actually just followed you on Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter Yay. all the time. Okay, good, good. I'm going to follow you back. The re- a reason I like Twitter so much is because, obviously, I love words. And people don't censor themselves on Twitter. They just say whatever yeah. comes to their mind, whatever they're thinking. And That's I personally true. like that. I want to know how you feel. Like, if you don't yeah. like me for some reason, let's just get that out in the open, you know? And I, I love sure. Twitter for that. It's hilarious to me. Yes, it's it's hilarious. And I have to admit, even with that, I've had to put up my own boundaries because for that very thing that you just said, you know, yep. especially being on TV, oh, yeah, there, it, I got to sometimes turn off the noise a little bit. But, yeah, it's 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 good overall. Well, thank you for your time today on the Free Your Energy podcast. We're going to get you back in a couple of months. We want you to be a friend of the podcast. We want to stay in touch with your journey Um, as a human, as an actress. We want to stay in touch with your foundation. So please come back in a couple of months. Update us on everything. Yes, I will. I will. And seriously, thank you so much for having me on this podcast. It truly has been such a treat. Thank you. Thank you. Free Your Energy.